No, no, 19. Uh, so today we're going to... Sorry, let's <laughs> just, just do that again. I knew you couldn't resist doing that. I know, it's because you said it. I'm going to do it again. Coming up, it's birthday Q&A day. Hello and welcome to ID.com's Media Snack, episode 19. So today we are going to do a, which we announced last week, we're going to do a yep. special, another special. Um, we thought we'd just do a Q&A. Mm -hmm. We celebrated as a business, we celebrated our seventh birthday last, uh, last week. Uh, and we thought it was appropriate just to perhaps take the opportunity to uh, answer some questions and yep. just pan back and have a bit of a more general perspective of the industry. So, um, so we reached out across various different platforms, Twitter and LinkedIn, mm -hmm. Snapchat, asking for questions and we got quite a lot in, which we've yeah. sorted now. They're really interesting as well. Um, and some very good questions and some very tricky questions actually, yes. which is good. Um, so uh, let's get, get straight into them. Get stuck in. Good. Who are the advertisers you most admire for getting media right? So generally speaking, the, the, the advertisers that we most respect, I think, probably for doing media really, really well. Um, they start with a very clear media ambition. Yep. So they kind of galvanize their marketing departments around a very clear ambition for media. From that, they're able to define internally what the role of media is, yep. and therefore are very clear in their expectations of their media agencies, and mm -hmm. they provide them with very clear KPIs, and they, they, they measure those KPIs really, really clearly. Yep. So basically, media sits at the heart of their kind of marketing organizations, which, frankly, is where, where we believe it should sit. Yeah, and, and we see... Uh, it's surprising, actually, the amount of brands sometimes that we, that we might have opportunity to speak to. Uh, and when you say, why do you spend $400 million on media? So what actually is it, what, you know, what is it designed to do? Why do you allocate that money? Um, not often do brands have a, have a really clear, simple answer to a very simple question, um, which tells you a couple of things. One is that they haven't really necessarily thought about it. And, you know, sometimes budgets are just, sent, uh, are just set same as last year, plus inflation. You know, and, and so they're not being linked to a, mm. driving a business metric, um, clearly, because it's not seen as an investment. It's Absolutely. seen as a lump of money which you have to distribute and spend. Mm. Um, and that's a dangerous position to be in because it makes you uh, not treat it like an investment, not expect the return, not measure its effect. Um, and maybe it doesn't make you care about that money as much, yeah. we find. So brands that really have a vision for media, who know why they spend the money that they spend, um, but actually don't view it as a spend, they view it as an investment in the business because it's driving something that they can measure, um, they don't tend to care about that money a bit more, and they'll therefore care about more about the relationship with their agency, the quality of the work, yeah. um, and so th those are the brands that we tend to uh, admire the most. Yeah. So they've and, got an idea of what, what they're trying to do. Yeah, and also, I mean, those brands that perhaps don't have such a clear vision on media, but uh, have an ambition for understanding that and yeah. are willing to go through that process, uh, you know, use that as an opportunity to, to uh, raise media, I think, really high on the corporate agenda. Yeah. Uh, because they have to get so many stakeholders aligned on that particular direction and strategy. Yeah. Um, so those are the brands that we generally find are, are best placed to... To, to you know, uh, really over deliver when it comes to media. Yeah. 
What's the one thing a client should learn about if they learn about nothing else in media? That's a really good question, actually, uh, and quite, quite a difficult one to answer. We've been thinking about this. Um, I think the biggest, the biggest opportunity to learn one thing, I think, to understand one thing in the media market is the difference between price and value. And I think if you understand that, it changes your whole perspective on what media is and what it does. You know, largely the industry is obsessed with the price of media. And going back to our previous question, if you think about spending your budget, if you just have to spend money, then you want to just spend it as wide as possible. So you want the least, the cheapest possible price. But that is not effective media. That doesn't do anything. That's right. Right? It's not linked to any kind of outcome. Mm. Um, if you change your mindset to think about the value of media, then you start to question, what is it actually doing? Mm. If, I'm, if I'm buying something and I want it to create a result, that's considered more like an investment. Yeah. And if I measure, if I have an outcome in mind and I'm measuring something, it starts to determine the value of media yeah. rather than price. And so I obsess less about discount, 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 buy cheaper, cheaper, cheaper reach, mm. which in our mind is you know, a race to the bottom. Um, and actually think about buying the things that drive an outcome yeah. and get, get smarter about the value that media has to your business. I agree. So, so understanding what the greatest levers are mm. for business growth, whatever those you know, uh, business uh, metrics yeah. and KPIs are. And they'll be different are. for every Of course they are, absolutely. Brand. But understanding the, the, the power of your media channels mm. uh, and those levers to drive whatever KPIs you've got yeah. is, a, is, a, is a critical component of any kind of marketing and, and, and media director's scope, yeah. I would say. Because then he can provide greater guidance to the agency and continually uh, drive incremental improvement in not only the media delivery yeah. but also you know business performance you know yeah, exactly and that reframes the role of media yeah. in the organization that's right what's the competitive advantage in terms of effectiveness and efficiency if an advertiser did everything that iBecomes believe brands should do that's a it's a really good question um, I love this question <laughs> good <laughs> um, competitive advantage in media as we see it is is making your media investment disproportionately more effective, yeah. powerful, than any other brand within your category. Yeah. Okay. So essentially, minimizing the, the wastage of that media investment to provide you with media competitive advantage mm. over you know, your competition yeah. is the way that we would define it, I think. Yeah. And that, the, the, you know, everybody's competing. Yeah. Their metrics might be different, but they, they want growth and they want sales and whatever it is. Um, and so most brands are, t t are competing in their category. Yeah. And I think that's a lovely kind of ambition to have, is to try and make your media work harder than anyone else in the category. And it has such a simple, logical follow-on. Mm -hmm. Because if you can make your media work harder by understanding the value, yeah. right, the stuff that you should be doing that drives an outcome, not just spending money wildly, yeah. uh, trying to find kind of cheap media, drives your business, then it, if I can spend less m m media money than you to sell the same, That's right. it makes me, my marketing more profitable ultimately and it makes, uh, gives me a larger margin on what I do and I can pass it on to the customer yeah. 
and I can sell my product cheaper than your product and grow even more. Um, so when we talk about media developing co competitive advantage, it has an amazing, powerful knock-on. Yeah. If you're spending hundreds of millions of dollars in media, and you can make that work 20, 30% harder, yeah. that either gives you a big chunk of additional money to do something new, absolutely, uh, or it means that you can put that back against your bottom line, and happy days, I'm a much more efficient and effective company, uh, and that sets me in a great position for the future. I mean, a lot of our observation is that you know, media money, you know, substantial amounts of media money potentially are, are wasted. Yeah because it's not given the right discipline uh, and diligence in the way that it's applied as an investment for growth. Absolutely. Um, and the companies that do it really well obsess about that. They mm. obsess about finding those incremental improvements in their media delivery to give them that competitive advantage. Yeah. As a growing business, what is your greatest challenge? So our, our biggest challenge, I think, at the moment, and, and it will continue probably to be a challenge moving forward, is getting the right talent into the business. Mm. Um, as we grow, uh, we will require more and more talent to come mm. in. And finding people that uh, reflect our, our values and that can kind of work within our culture and to our culture, mm. while still uh, having that bit of entrepreneurial spark that I yeah. think you need to, to work in a, in a fast-growing business like yeah. ours is, is, um, is always a little bit challenging. Yeah. But when we get it right, you know, they, they flourish and thrive, I think, within, within yeah. our environment. I um, think talent, talent is, I mean, the, the amount of conversations at the moment going on around talent uh, in the industry, whether that be on the marketer side or agency side, vendor side, you know, everybody's really struggling with it. And it's a cliche a little bit yeah. to say that there's, you know, there's a, uh, a talent famine. I think it, you know, it's definitely a challenge in the agencies because a lot of talent has been drawn into the tech, the tech side or the vendor publisher side um, over recent years. So I think they've struggled with that. And I hear from agencies they're struggling with, you know, uh, hiring really high caliber graduates right. who can't necessarily see a, you know, career progression through an agency because it's very young. Mm culture, it's quite kind of yeah. flat bottomed culture isn't it? Um, so uh, they've struggled with that and, th and as you say then we, we've got particular requirements mm. on, on talent because we need to have a very broad perspective right. on the client, the agency, the, the you know, performance, the vendor, uh, the vendor side and that is a challenge. Um, and I, and I, you know, when we when we look for talent and we 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 uh, bring people in, we're not necessarily looking for uh, somebody that ticks all those boxes. Uh, more than anything else, I think we look for somebody that has that little bit of a spark, that mm. sense of curiosity, that sense of interest within the industry, yeah. that uh, will allow them to be hungry for information, yeah. will allow them to sort of grow as we grow as a business. Yeah. Um, so we're always looking for great talent. Um, and, uh, Apply below. Yeah, <laughs> I think the other thing, it was related to this, but I, I think that the other challenge for us, a bit more strategically as a business, mm -hmm. is that it's, the industry is so fast paced. It's so fast changing. And if you think that, you know, two or three years ago, the plans that we might have had for the business or what we thought we would do, then get slightly nudged other ways, of course, by the demands of our customers, who are the, you know, some of the world's largest advertisers, their demands, we have to try and anticipate what they are and build towards that. And we're quite agile as a small business, and that's good, but that's our challenge. As we grow, we've got to keep 
flexible and really listen to what's out there and make sure that we're always kind of one step ahead and anticipating the needs of marketers. And that's the other, the other bit, because yeah. it's hard to plan resource and talent against that when you're not always quite sure where you're aiming. Yeah. If you were building an agency, A, what would it look like? B, would you call it an agency? I, I like that question, and we, people ask that question quite a lot. I think because we've got, um, you know, we're in a rather privileged position because we get to see under the hood of all the agencies yeah. um, through when we, when we do uh, work on pitches or negotiating on behalf of uh, advertisers with, with agencies. So, um, so perhaps we've got a, a perspective to say, well, what would we build from that? Um, I think the, what I typically say is that you know, the landscape as it exists right now of media agencies is big scale network leverage, yeah. right? And that's, that has fitted and suited a purpose for a long time. And those networks represent, you know, they control 90% of the world's media right. yeah. investment. So you can say that is the favored model right now. I think the limitations of that though is that they, they operate on an industrial scale yeah. and they maybe don't have enough craft of media, maybe they don't care or have passion perhaps for media, not as individuals, but just as a big business. It's just difficult to do that. Um, and I think that, that, that uh, there are plenty of brands out there who may not necessarily need the scale, yeah. um, but that would like to work with uh, companies that have a, a specific talent or a specific angle and could be slightly more nuanced. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're running a big global network agency, try as you might, it's very difficult, I think, to have a, you know, have a really clear set of values or a point yeah. of view, perspective on something or a positioning because you have to appeal to a very wide spectrum of different companies mm-hmm. and cultures. And so you know, the big network agencies are often accused of all looking and feeling the same, and that's you know unfair perhaps on one hand, but you can understand that because they have to be pretty vanilla. Yeah. You know they've got to be they're mass they're a, they need mass appeal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the brands, I think increasingly, and I hope this is the case. I feel quite passionate and romantic about this. Uh, is that brands may want to work with media agencies that really stand for something, yeah. that really have a point of view or an angle on the industry or a specialism. Um, or a, you know a, a perspective of how brands build or businesses grow, um, and so I think if I was to start an agency, it would it would I would be proud for it to be quite boutique. It doesn't yeah. have to be niche, but it has to have a specific point of view, and that is a, that to me would be a competitive advantage versus a big agency network who I wouldn't want to yeah. I don't want to build the world's biggest network. It's yeah. not interesting. I, I agree, um, and and actually it's it's. Uh, the, the success stories uh, of you know recent years in terms of um, you know independent uh, agencies in yeah. certainly in the UK yeah. have been have been built around uh, a, a really clear position and mm. a really clear culture that you know uh, underpins everything that they do. Yeah. And so um, I agree with you. I think that it's very difficult to distinguish uh, one of the big you know the big networks from each other. I think that's just the the nature of the beast. Um, but you know there is a massive market, I think, there for a really smart, culturally driven, mm. uh, independent, uh, you know, collection of agencies. Yeah, agree. Would they be called agencies? 
Probably. <laughs> I think you'd be regarded as agencies. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd be that interested in the buying. Mm. I mean, it might be interesting to, you know, I think there's an education that needs to happen to encourage brands to pay for insight, strategy, and planning. Yeah. Um, and so it might feel a little bit perhaps more like a consulting business, an extension of a consulting business, to think about those things without going into a buying uh, a buying arrangement. At the moment, those kind of split models haven't really succeeded very much where they've been tried, but perhaps in future, mm-hmm. as brands increasingly value you know, talent that can distill insight from all their data, build proper strategies, um, and write you know, guidelines and principles for how that can be executed. Mm. You know, maybe that's the scope. Yeah. We're designing an agency right now. Okay, uh, we'll go back to the day job. Next. If clients were to pay more for media services, would Rebase disappear? And would this be a good thing? So, still talking about rebates and transparency. Mm. Never seems to go away. No. Um, would rebates disappear if more clients paid uh, more fees and fairly. Uh, no, they wouldn't go away completely because I think kind of the rebate model is just part of the volume structure of most buying arrangements. Um, would, however, uh, the transparency concerns or the lack of transparency that is, you know, uh, uh, drowning, I think, the industry? Yes, it would because yeah. uh, the issues around transparency would be less prevalent. I think if agencies were earning you know, uh, all were fairly remunerated yeah. for the work that they did. Um, there would also be, I think, probably a more adult discussions around around rebates. So uh, that would hopefully result in a greater trust-based relationship with clients and we'd be able to move forward. Yeah. So perhaps that is the solution. Yeah. But would rebates go away completely? No. Because no. there will always be that. There will always be that incentive, whether it's called a rebate, mm. technically or not, but some incentive paid to a buyer to yeah. incentivize them to buy more. Um, that, will, that will exist. The, the, way it's, the distinction is to what extent that's shared back with the client yeah. and then the agency disclose where that exists, which they used to have to do and they were very fully disclosed and it's just becoming harder and harder to, to track those things. Um, so you're right. I mean, it's, it just comes down to the way you pay the agency. Yeah. That's the, the absolute determinant, isn't it, of how transparent they want to be yeah. about passing back all those any of those benefits. Yeah. And if we were to take away the whole, you know, lack of transparency piece, then as we've found from our uh, from our study, um, you know, trust would 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 become uh, uh, stronger, and yeah. and everybody would benefit from that. Yeah. And actually, I mean, it's good to reference the study though because. That was one of the highest ranked uh, elements from all the respondents that we had to say that how the agency actually makes money mm. is one of the biggest questions they have yeah. and a determinant of uh, the trans- or transparency and a determinant of trust they have in that agency. Yeah. Um, that at the moment is a little bit of a grey area that could easily be resolved potentially if... Uh, Maybe if they got paid more fairly by the brands they work for. Absolutely. Right, we've got uh, just time for one final question. Yeah. What is the least transparent holding company? Good question. It's a very good question. Do you have an answer? You take it. I think it's an easy, question, easy answer, isn't it? Because the least transparent holding company, as everybody knows, <laughs> is 